Alpha starts next week, just in case you weren't aware. If you feel like it's been, you're bombarded with it, that's okay. Um, one of the things I haven't made a big deal about is uh, we are going to have live entertainment uh, outside. So at 9.30, when you come to eat, and someone said, uh, is it real bricky, or is it sort of like not real bricky? It's probably more like morning tea, but if you would like, we can organise to have uh, wheat bix and cereals if you think, oh, I'd like to have real bricky, thank you very much. <laughs> we can do that too, you know? So um, come along, we might set up uh, any requests of wheat bix, no, cornflakes, neutral grain, no one wants real bricky, porridge, no, I don't want to cook it. <laughs> so we're probably not going to have real bricky. It's probably just going to be more like morning tea type. Um, it was awesome when we had it for the taster, so that's what it's going to be like. So thank you. Um, the live music, uh, Coco, who were here for Christmas, they're going to be here next week. Uh, they are fantastic. So um, bring your friends, and even if they stay just for morning tea and decide they don't want to watch Alpha, at least they'll connect. You know, they'll come to church and go, oh, wow, you know, this is fine. Um, the week after that, we have Jacob Wild. That's Reuben and Sam's brother. He's going to come and he's going to do original music. I, I've, I hope he's going to do original music. Uh, he's an amazing performer and uh, artist. His music is great. After that, we have Keaton and Aidan, who are going to do their thing. I'm just Keaton and Aidan, you know. Just never know what's going to happen could be quite dramatic. Uh, and then um, my girls are pulling something together. So the four of them, I think probably for the first time doing a proper sort of gig. And I think there's some Andrew Sisters, maybe a song from the Andrew Sisters. It's running around in my head. It's like an earworm, you know? Oh, Johnny, oh, Johnny, ba-da-da-ba. And now it's going to be an earworm in your head. Jump for joy, ba-da-da-da-da. Anyway, come and hear it in five weeks' time. <laughs> So that's enough of the advertisements. Uh, there's this amazing, I, Ephesians, I love Ephesians chapter 1. And normally I talk about the beginning of Ephesians where God has purposed in his heart to include us in his life, to make us part of his family. If you've never read it, have a read. It's like God chose to adopt you, which really means he chose to include you in his family. That's beautiful. And then uh, at the very end of it, it's, this is mystical and it's meant to be because the whole Christian thing is meant to be a little bit mystical. It's not meant to be about certainty because it's about faith, but it's beautiful. And it talks about what Jesus has done and our spiritual blessings. And then it says, and God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him to the church as supreme Lord over all things. The church is Christ's body, the completion of him who himself completes all things everywhere. Another version says, the fullness, the church is the fullness of Christ. The fullness of him who fills all things. Is that, I mean, is that just too hard to comprehend? I mean, when I think about the church, I don't sort of, like, really? I thought Jesus was more impressive than that, <laughs> you know? We're just a bunch of people. But somehow he's chosen to, in the same way that he did when he was here, to make this mystery 
the, what he uses to fill the world with his love. It's us, the hope of the world, the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ. That's extraordinary. Hard to comprehend. But I love um, looking at Jesus and looking at his life and looking at things he does. And uh, when you look at him and you see what he was up to and see what was happening around him, there's this thing that was happening with Jesus that isn't happening with his body. There's a whole lot of people gathering around Jesus. Has anyone noticed that happening in the church? <laughs> like people were flocking to him. They were, they were flocking to him. And it's hard to imagine why, because he was saying hard things. Like he wasn't saying easy things. And just before, like some of the passages that I'm going to be talking through, just prior to these passages, he's saying things like, if you don't put me before your mother and your father, then you've got no place with me. If you're not prepared to take up your cross, then you can't be my disciple. If you're not prepared to give it up, to lose everything in order to gain me, then you can have no part of me now. <laughs> I mean, if I said that stuff to you seriously without saying Jesus said it, two, one or two things would happen. Next week, none of you would be here. <laughs> or Darren would be getting up saying, remember the last senior pastor we had, um, that guy that was there last week? <laughs> yeah, well, he's not here anymore. No? It's tough. Like, it's really tough. And then Luke chapter 15. So this is the couple of chapters before. And then Luke chapter 15. Luke, who's the writer of this book, it's like a, an historical document. Luke's one of the people that hung around Jesus or was close to Jesus. And he's, he's gone, I'm going to write an ordered account of what happened as far as we can remember and as far as other people have said and through oral tradition. So he writes and he says, Jesus said all this and then sinners and tax collectors all gathered around him. They all came. It's like, why, why is he telling us that Jesus said all this hard stuff and then sinners and tax collectors are gathering? The religious people weren't. They were there observing, but they were muttering. So the, in the day, the Christians were sitting there going, hang on a minute, what's Jesus doing hanging out with all these sinners and tax collectors? What, what's he got to, what business has he got with them? He's a religious leader, and they're muttering. Religious people weren't supposed to associate with these people. Why does he receive them? And Jesus knows opportunity for me to help these people to understand why I'm here. And most of you will know the stories that he tells next, so I'm just going to go over them briefly. He says, which of you men, having lost one sheep, wouldn't leave the 99 
and go and look for the one. And the men are there like, yeah, we would do that. We would go look for the one. It's our livelihood. We'll go find the sheep, bring it back. And he said, and then when you found that sheep, wouldn't you have a party and go, we found the sheep? Most of them are probably going, yeah, fair call. We probably would do that. And then he's looking around and he sees some women. And he goes, and which of you women, if you had, and, and I'm, I'm thinking it's some sort of dowry, but basically there's 10 gold coins, which would have been worth their weight in gold, probably, <laughs> or more, depending on the market. I don't know. Uh, it's probably part of a dowry. She might have worn it. You, have you seen the movies where they have like headdresses and they've got gold sort of stuck in the headdress and, and they go, they walk around and it's kind of like, if you get me, you get this. And so the guys are like, mm, she's only got 10 pieces of gold. She's got 15. It's a, like a dowry type thing. <laughs> but which one of you women, if one of those was lost, would go out with only nine and there's like one missing? Wouldn't do it. You'd hunt through the house until you found it. And then party, because the thing that's lost has been found and everyone's going, yes, fair call. And I think one of the things that Jesus is making fairly clear here to all of us is that the thing that is lost takes precedence over the thing that is unlost. It doesn't mean that the thing that's unlost isn't important, but it's a bit like, I mean, like Susan, if you don't mind me using you as an illustration, just imagine Susan goes home to Kevin and she says to Kevin, Kevin, I lost my mobile phone today. And he's like, what? And she goes, it's okay, it's okay. I've, I've got my keys to the car. I haven't lost that. The car's in the car park. I haven't lost that. My wallet's fine. I, it's okay. Don't worry about the phone. No? Or if you're a parent and, you know, this has happened to me, Actually, not that long ago either. I thought I'd lost Priya. <laughs> and I'm going, I don't have three other daughters. They're safe. I'm not thinking, oh, it's all right. Whew. Chelsea, Dana, Sinead, okay. I can see those three. <laughs> ah, we'll leave it. Right? The thing that's lost somehow becomes primary to you. The thing that's lost somehow becomes more important. And when you find that thing, you experience a joy that you didn't have when you just had the thing. You lose your purse, you hunt for it. When you find it, all of a sudden there's a newfound appreciation for the purse. Joy that you didn't have if you'd never lost the purse. So this, I think, is the point he's making. And this is all about spatial stuff. It's lost spatially. The next story is probably most famously known as the prodigal son. Now the prodigal son is in the house with the father. At this stage, he's not lost. Spatially, he's right there. The father knows where he is. But he comes to his dad and he says, dad, give me half of the inheritance. Days it'll be it'll be like let's stone this kid. 
the Old Testament, if the child was rebellious and the parents had had enough, they can actually bring him to the center of the stoning mart or whatever it is and, and tell people this kid's rebellious and they'll stone him. Wow. So that's the kind of culture we're talking about, the, the culture where a son who shows that kind of um, disrespect to his father could actually be killed by the community. It's in the Old Testament. Horrible stuff. <clears throat> and everyone knows that. Everyone who's listening, the Pharisees, they're going, nah, get rid of them. I think the sinners and tax collectors are curious. But the father goes, okay, I'll let you have it. I think because the father understands something about the fact that although his son is there in the space, he's connected, he's disconnected relationally. There's a relational disconnect, even though there's a, a geographical connect. And so the father goes, I prefer the relationship, not interested in this space. And so he lets him go. And maybe just secretly hoping, maybe knowing that actually something may change in the heart of the son when he's at a distance, who knows. But it does. And most of us will know the story the son's out there and he's feeding pigs he's spent the money he's completely wasted it and so Jesus is telling the story and the Pharisees and Sadducees are just sitting there going things are bad I should just go home and I'll repent and tell my father I'm sorry again because Jesus is telling the story Pharisees and Sadducees no so when Jesus says and the father saw him coming from afar. The implication is that father was looking. Father's eyes were on the road, on the path, if you like, looking to the gate, just wondering when his son might come back and he sees him from a distance and his heart was filled with compassion. This is completely contrary to anything that these people had ever heard before. That's not how father should be feeling he should be feeling anger I know teach this kid a lesson but the father runs out to the son and he embraces him he doesn't hear his speech <laughs> doesn't wait to hear what the son has to say he just embraces him and said my son who was lost relationally right is found Let's celebrate. Let's have a massive party. Because he's home again. And he's connected again. And I think probably there were a few people that were going, this, is, this doesn't make any sense. Maybe it was starting to switch or click that Jesus is trying to say, I'm here for the broken. I'm here for the lost. I'm here for the disconnected. I'm not here for the well. I'm not here for the righteous. He says these things. Now, if I go back to the scripture that I read at the beginning, that the church is the fullness of him who fills all things. 
ultimately the body of Christ will be the same as Christ. And I know, you know, I'm not, all right? There's a lot of stuff you don't want to know about me, a lot of stuff I don't want to know about me. Actually, I'm, yeah. But somehow, in some amazing way, Jesus is still seeking the disconnected through us. He's still seeking the broken through us. He's the head, we're the body, and the head's going, reach out to the broken. Reach out to the disconnected. And we might be, or we can understand, yeah, that's actually what the body of Christ is here for. To connect the disconnected. To accept the unacceptable. To love the ones that everyone else wants to stone. (laughs) This is hard. And we need help. And thank God that Jesus helps us. His Spirit helps us. But part of what we're doing with Alpha is going, are there disconnected people in relation to God? And even in relation to His body. There might have been people that just have left the space because they've gone... What the heck's going on at church? Because it's full of people, right? You leave, sometimes you leave and just go, I don't know if I want to go back there. I'm sure Jesus was different. And people just walk away. So there may be people you know that years ago they just walked away, got out of the space because there was a relational disconnect. And we're just saying, hey, come, taste and see. (laughs) Jesus is good. And personally, as a part of his body, I know for me, I want to love these people as hard as I can. I want to open my arms to whoever comes as wide as I can because I think that's what Jesus is doing. It would be that, you know, can I hear an amen? <laughs> that's sort of that moment, isn't it? <laughs> we're the hands and feet, we're the arms, the heart. Jesus in the world. And so I want to encourage you, pray. If you know disconnected people, encourage them to come. Trust God with them. You can't, in some ways you can't trust people with them because it's sort of like, uh, we're people. But just trust God with them. So we're going to just invite them and trust God with them. And I know most of Because I'm certain, uh, like the Bible says, when a disconnected one, a lost one, is found or reconnected, there's a party. And I don't know about you, but I'm really, really looking forward to having a party. You know that baptism. I'm looking forward to baptisms this year. And we're going to go to the river or to the lake or to wherever there's water and have a party and go, the one who was disconnected is connected. The one who was lost is found. Yes, let's celebrate. What a wonderful thing for us to do as a family. And I look forward to it. And I'm done. Is everyone all right? I'm going to pray. Lord, we know that you uh, said some really hard things. We also know that your grace 
is sufficient for us uh, when we can't measure up, when we miss the mark, when we are somehow disconnected. And I want to thank you for that. I want to thank you for this group of people, this body, your body. I want to pray for each and every one of us, those that are here, those that aren't, those that uh, you're moving here. That we would have uh, real big hearts, open hearts, uh, to receive what you want to do in us and to receive and be courageous enough to outwork that to the people you bring and uh, the people that we experience in every day of our life who may be disconnected. Uh, these are challenging things, they're difficult things, but I'm sure they're also some of the most fulfilling when we see them come about. So uh, for the joy that's set before us, let us endure. And I want to pray uh, for your people. Lord, would bless you. He would keep you and he would cause his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Amen.